The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Welcome to Debrief. I'm Megan Murphy, editor of Bloomberg Businessweek. With each episode, we'll sit down with the world's leading business leaders, entrepreneurs, and political figures. It's a peek behind the scenes of global business, culture, and politics. A firsthand conversation with the people who shape the world's economy. If you don't feel smarter afterwards, then we aren't doing our job. The Tribeca Film Festival, one of the leading independent film festivals in the world, turned 16 this month. Founded in the aftermath of 9-11, a festival born to bring creative life back to downtown New York City, has developed over the years into an event intended to push the boundaries of the entertainment industry, from its commitment to diversity to its investment in new forms of storytelling, such as video games. I sat down with two of its founders, legendary actor Robert De Niro and his longtime producing partner Jane Rosenthal, to talk about what they've learned through their decades of working together, what they think of the Trump administration, and whether they think that they are any good at all at what they do. Since this is Bloomberg, I want to I want to start out today with uh, Wizard of Lies, which yes. is the upcoming Bernie Madoff docudrama where right. you play Bernie Madoff. This is a story that so many people think they know parts of it, but there's still so much mystery surrounding what motivated him, how much his family knew, when they knew it. How do you get into a character like that that everybody feels they know part of, but they don't really know the whole story? Well, I, um, well the one thing I felt, always felt very strongly about was that the kids didn't know anything. Uh, and I don't think his wife did either, really. She, you know, I just don't ever... He protected them. Um, uh, I, I don't see anything that says otherwise uh, <clears throat> but it was an interesting um, character it's been so long ago I did it almost a year and a half ago <laughs> so uh, a master manipulator yeah and and I mean it's the classic con where he's you know he everybody comes to him and they want to be part of this club and he and it, that that whole thing evolved through his personality uh, his uh, his way of manipulating people that uh, he became you know it's uh, it, it, it's it's classic it's yeah. a classic sort of uh, con situation that uh, people fell for. Jane, it wasn't the easiest movie to get made. I think you optioned the book six years ago, as long as long ago. Tell me about a little bit of that process. I've heard you say that had you done it right away, the film would have been different in terms of focusing more on the scheme and the con. And as it evolved, it became more about the family and really a family story of a family breaking apart. Well, if we again, if we had done the when the book came out, Diane Henrique's book, Wizard of Lies. Uh, it would have focused more on the Ponzi scheme 
and as we got distance from it, as um, you know, both one son died of cancer, one son hung himself. Um, as you got further away, you realized this bro- this broken family. So uh, there were certainly, you know, he he hurt a lot. Bernie hurt a lot of people. Uh, he was really quite despicable. But he also hurt those he thought he was really protecting and left them in such a vulnerable position. And there's, uh, there's actually a moment in the film where Mark says, how do I trust anything? Mark Madoff. Mark Madoff. Was, how do I trust anything about myself when the father who raised me, who taught me right from wrong, has lied about everything? And so you think about that, and growing up like that is... Uh, was really made for a magnificent drama. And HBO is, was your partner as well and helped push to get that through. Obviously, the hope being that when it will get a larger audience than had you gone, say, through tradi- a more traditional sort of... Well, if we had film. gone through, if we'd gone through a more traditional... Uh, you know, a, a, this is not a movie that major studios are, are making today. Um, it would be considered a, a smaller movie, so you would be doing this the independent film route, and that is uh, a lot of work. Uh, it's uh, um, a lot of, to use an old expression, pushing papers, and uh, this way HBO came in, and um, they were Len Amato, who runs HBO Films. Uh, he's terrific and uh, really supported the project and uh, it's the first time Bob and Michelle Pfeiffer have uh, done a project for HBO and it's uh, we're really quite proud of it. We're premiering next month in May. Yes. Um, speaking of other sort of non-traditional products, pro- projects, I'm excited about The Irishman which yep. is bringing the band back together in some ways with uh, yeah. Joe Pesci, you, Al Pacino, about the story about Jimmy Hoffa's disappearance, death. Right, right. Um, yeah, I mean, hopefully Joe Pesci will be in it. Uh, we're, we're... we're not sure if Joe's in it. And <laughs> so actually, 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 this is the moment that we're going to say, Joe, are you going to do this or <laughs> right. not? Joe, on Bloomberg, you are got to get yeah. in this movie. <laughs> um, but tell me about, that's obviously going on your long-term partnership with... Martin Scorsese. Yeah, um, it was. Uh, I mean, it was a. Pro- we were involved in another project that we were going to do, but uh, but I read this. Other, uh, I heard you paint houses, and I. It was out for about two years, and I kept wanting to read it, and I uh, and I said, Marty, I think you know maybe read this book because I think this is more what we should be doing, and we tried at one point to see if we could put the old project and the new thing together, but it was just too complicated, so we. Pivoted and made the you know and and took uh, I it's, it's been about ten years since it was we it was ten years ago we were on we were having a green light call on the other project and Bob said well, well maybe there's this other project so we having there went, a, it, there went a, a a go movie turned into a development deal turned into here we are ten years later but anyway it's it's really exciting and uh, Steve Zalian wrote. Uh, a wonderful script and having Marty and Bob work together again um, is um, 
as you said, getting the band back Magic together. Magic, getting back to Goodfellas and Cape Fear. Now, one thing that you know I was interested in is looking at it is some fans have already cut actual trailers for it. They've sort of... Oh, really? Yes, really? they've sort oh, of wow. taken oh, music from Goodfellas. If you if you Google it, so... I, you will. You will. It's, it's, it's fascinating to me, and I thought... I, originally, I thought, is this a real trailer? But one of the things I think that's particularly fascinating from the business side is that you're going through Netflix for this and that they've put up the money... How disruptive is that now in terms of that kind of model, whether it's Netflix, whether it's Amazon, and going straight to them as opposed to going again through traditional film distribution? Uh, Look, the business is rapidly changing. Um, I think that uh, the audiences, uh, consumers have more choices than ever, and they're screen agnostic. So it doesn't make a difference whether you, if you do it on Netflix and then you can screen it on a big screen um, or you want to watch it on a small screen. I have, uh, I have teenagers. They prefer to watch. They'll, they are watching something at every moment, whether it's their phone, their computer, or a large, or a large screen. So consumer behaviors are changing. And as, as producers, uh, it's really quite it's wonderful for us because if we want to make um, you know, a certain type of film, there's all different uh, venues now to go to. There's all different opportunities for financing uh, that you didn't have a number of years ago. You've got to remember, uh, you know, years ago you only had three, you had four networks. Now look at how everything has changed. Well, the you're at Bloomberg exactly. You're at the, Bloomberg. <laughs> trying to get Joe Pesci to go in this mood. Um, is it going to have also have theatrical release though? Would it be simultaneous? We're talking about that absolutely, but not um, it, not the kind of uh, distribution that at all. It's right. would, it's not going to be a it would be a platform distribution. It's not about uh, having two thousand screens. Yeah. Uh, it's a different model. It's a completely different model, but it's where the audience is. I mean, we have to start looking at where the consumer is, where the audiences are. And audiences now have so many different choices. And so even, you know, you, no matter, you have to be able to differenti- differentiate the project and what's good for a project and where it, where it belongs and on what platform. Well, I have a two-year-old, and she already knows how to consume on a mobile. So that's always more but, than a bit frightening. You know, look, if you think about when we started the festival 50, uh, 15 years ago, we happened to watch television and go to movies. Now we're all sitting here consuming media. Okay, that's a, you know, our vocabulary has all changed. Well, I want to turn to talk about the festival because it's the 16th year. Um, and just how much it's been a vital, obviously, in cultural rebuilding after 9-11 in New York but also an economic rena- part of that economic renaissance downtown as well. Um, when you look at it, how has it evolved, Bob, through the years in terms of what are you most proud of when you look at that and what it's become for New York? Well, I'm proud that it lasted this long and that it's becoming part of the fabric of the city, a, a tradition that will last for us forever, you know. Uh, that It's changing every year. Uh, Jane can be more specific about that with all the technology and different ways of telling uh, stories and so on, um, what we were just talking about before. So, um, but I'm very, very excited, proud, you know, that, it, that it's uh, just there. Well, it was, you think back to that first year and uh, um, Mayor Bloomberg had just been elected, and you know we announced that we're doing this festival, uh, and uh, certainly uh, 
Mike Bloomberg, Patty Harris, uh, that whole administration was incredibly supportive of us. Uh, we opened the film festival that first year on the steps of City Hall uh, with Bob, uh, the mayor, uh, President Clinton, and, and Nelson Mandela, who basically gave us the permission, if you will, to go go watch some movies. That too, that you know, you couldn't just go from being a recovery operation to suddenly in Lower Manhattan to screening movies. And Mandela came and uh, sort of blessed blessed the opportunity and said, you know, it's you've got to you've got to celebrate community. When um, I read about some of the early stories about it and how you both talked about how just close it was to what had happened and the thing about going left, you know, and and really the, the tragedy being uh, so much a part of that early, early part of the festival and, as you said, permission to go out and do something different. Now so much of the festival, when I read about it, is about exploring these boundaries of, of tech, of other things. This year, gaming, for example. I didn't know that you actually produced a video game in 1996 with a cast, if I'm correct, although I don't always trust mm-hmm. IMDb, Jim Belushi, Cher, mm-hmm. Ellen DeGeneres, and Steven Tyler in a game called The Last Resort. So yes. it's, been a, it's been a long-term passion of yours, and it's going to be a big part of the festival this year? Uh, yes. Uh, non-linear, although, Bob, when we did that, that was a CD-ROM, and you know how long CD-ROMs lasted. <laughs> that was about uh, a nanosecond, and then the gaming world kind of went into more sports and point-and-shoot. But um, we you know, always have been interested in novelistic storytelling, and even, I think, the projects that Bob has been attracted to, if you look at something like Good Shepherd and, you know, the... the the length of those stories is more novelistic. So uh, for me, it's uh, different for Bob, but uh, I'm always interested in nonlinear storytelling. And this year at the festival, uh, we have Kojima and Ken Levine, who did Bioshock, and some of the most extraordinary storytellers in gaming. So it's another way, again, to look at how entertainment is changing, how you're on different screens, but you're still telling these great stories. The festival a number of years ago was the first festival to actually screen a game. We screened uh, L.A. Noir, which was from Rockstar, which is a terrific company that's based here in New York. Uh, I want to talk, when you talk about sort of, you know, that vision and your legacies um, in New York and sort of with the festival, et cetera, but we are obviously operating in a little bit of a different time now than we have um, today being no different. Uh, you've been, Bob, quite vocal about some of the political climate that we're living in. You've been yeah. quite vocal about Trump. Um, you've called him a bully, a pig, threatened to punch him. Um, is there anything in this first week's, the first 100 days, which we're coming rapidly up to, that has given you time to pause and think this could be better, this could be worse? Well, I've always, I always try and give any situation that, that I feel is negative the benefit of the doubt that it'll change, it'll get better. Uh, I haven't seen that with, with, uh, with him. He's, uh, they, it's the same situation. It's not, I don't think it will change. He will do certain things like what he did 
in Syria, um, which uh, is a, uh, I agree with what he should have done, but I don't know where that's going to go. I'm, I'm worried that we're going to get into a situation where we have a real confrontation. And in that sense, he might do something and he'll get credit for it and everybody will think he's a great president or something along those lines. Uh, that's my concern. But I think other than that, he's just, you know, he's, he's just, he's not, uh, he, he's um, debased the presidency as far as I'm concerned. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, when you talk, when, when people talk about debasing the president, and then you see sort of during his presidency, you know, whether it's calling out Meryl Streep, a friend of yours, after which you wrote a letter saying how important it was for everyone's voice to be active. When we see Saturday Night Live with Alec Baldwin playing Trump or Melissa McCarthy playing Spicer, do you think that one of my concerns, having covered Washington as well, is that these lines are blurred now between what people expect from the political class and what they expect from entertainment, sports, etc.? Are you concerned about this convergence of uh, sort of reality TV show style and political life? Just uh, <clears throat> explain that to me again. In the sense of that he's more of an actor yeah. than he is a... He is, but he... he uh, and this is not a reality show. Uh, you know, this is not The Apprentice. This is real. And everything he says and does is very, very important and, and, and has an impact around the world. Uh, it's, it's not a game. And I think he's so narcissistic and so self-centered, he doesn't really... I don't know whether he gets it or I, I just don't understand it. I don't understand uh, how he I, look, I don't understand how he became president. So and I think a lot of us uh, feel that way. Um, it's just uh, it's it's mortifying and not to say that he won't do good things. And I'll be the first to give him credit for that. But so far, you know, Jane, you've been quite politically active as well. When you look at the environment, um, and we look, you look at some of the targeted budget cuts that he would make, National Endowment for the Arts, National Endowment for Humanity, PBS, et cetera. What are you telling people in the industry now about their voice going forward? Is it impacting projects, your decisions you're making about what to do? Artists' voices need to be heard loud and proud and uh, to keep going. And... The NEA uh, is such a small amount by comparison to everything else uh, that, you know, the support of the NEA is vital. It's a, a, a public, a community uh, where we're judged by our, we're remembered by our culture. And to think that, you know, he, he, wants, he might want to be remembered by a tweet. You need to look at, you know, PBS is important and... Um, all of the programming. A good, a good friend of ours, uh, Whoopi Goldberg, some of her first projects were supported by the NEA. But artists have always made it through in the most difficult times, and artists' voices bring us together. It's in our DNA. It's how we started the film festival, was uh, artists joining together to say that we're still here after a terrorist act on our country. So, you know, we'll persevere. I want to ask you one more question on this. When we look at um, sort of his appeal to a certain section of, of voters, particularly white working class voters, 
Do you think that there is a dis- is is there anything the entertainment industry should do to help reduce partisanship, or is it always going to be that Hollywood, New York, San Francisco have a or promote more liberal values than the rest that than large swaths of the country, whether it's rural America? That's a good question. I mean, I I, I think. We, as a country, represent so many good things to the rest of the world. Not in everything, but many good things, progressive things. I'm sorry that we don't appeal to people in the middle of the country who have their own needs and issues, and rightfully so. But we represent something that's very, very important, and we don't want to go backwards on that stuff. We can't. And I think, if anything, with with Trump, so far it's shown that this country, the system, is pushing back on what he's been doing. Uh, And so that, in a way, I mean, I used to joke and say he's going to, if he didn't become president, he would, you know, he'd say, well, I, you know, I shook it up, and so I should get credit for that. He did shake it up, and I give him credit now. He really did. he He shakes it up right now. And... We are the, the the system, as I say, is fighting back, pushing back. But let, let me, let me and, bring. And, I mean, not, not that all his decision, you know, like Mattis is somebody who's greatly respected. General Mattis. That's a good choice. Uh, there are some, but not many. But we we do all agree, and where we can bring the country together is, first of all, the entertainment business employs millions of people who are working behind the scenes. Um, when you look what's behind us to our right and people who are uh, electricians and uh, who, are, who, are driving, who are driving trucks. We employ thousands, of, millions of working class people. The part, that I, the part that I question, if I, in looking back at the, at, the, uh, at the campaign, is that perhaps as the media we didn't listen enough to the voters. We were so busy covering the insanity of what the candidates were, would have to say or have to react to, uh, you know, Trump with. Uh, but what we do all share is the need for jobs, is for uh, the need for jobs for, for our country, for our people. Do you think when you say just shaking things up, do you think we're at a tipping point? Do you think we're at a point where a Bernie Sanders-style figure will really, even more so than he galvanized people, or that on the left, that there is more room there, that we'll see more resistance-type movement? Well, if Bernie... I question, if Bernie won, would you have had a woman's march? If if Bernie lost, sorry, if Bernie lost, would you have had a woman's march? And the women's movement, and what is going on, just in terms of the activism right there, not just about, you know, not just about women's issues, per se. Um... Or refugee issue, right? It's you know, would would that ha- would that have happened? I think that Hillary has still ignited, uh, you know, her 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 supporters, her voters, even people who weren't for her, realize that, that this is the wrong way that the country is going, and people are becoming more activists. People are asking questions about what their, you know, what a city council member does. Suddenly you're seeing people more interested in civics than, than ever before. Would you ever be interested in playing 
any one of the, either one of those guys in a film? Which what? Which? Trump or Bernie Sanders? No, <laughs> <laughs> definitely not Trump. No. I heard Brian Cranston is. I think Alec Baldwin does a great job. <laughs> um, let's talk about one other slightly controversial topic, and that's diversity in the film industry. Um, Jane, something that you've been very involved in throughout your career. Uh, you've you talk, you've talked in the past about starting as one of the only women at CBS Sports in the late 70s, uh, working your way up, how that was, could be a lonely experience at times. Uh, and then when you do things like Nine for Title IX to celebrate women in sports, what's on your agenda for diversity right now in terms of pushing that forward? We have the Tribeca Film Institute, and uh, one of the things we do year-round is support uh, diverse filmmakers from... Uh, from every uh, every population, uh, and to be able to support untold stories and uh, stories of uh, stories of diversity, and in terms of in terms of women, it's uh, again it's about uh, to keep supporting um, the best talent that's out there. Bob, do you think the entertainment industry is doing enough? to diversify in terms of casting, in terms of behind the scenes, in front of the scenes, directing? I, um, probably not, but it, 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 I think what's being done, people saying it has to be done, has to be done, slowly it's changing. It's not changing as fast as people would like it to change. Um, you know, it's... Um, no, there's still there's ageism, there's sexism, there's yeah. all that stuff that still is still it still exists, and it's never gonna you know I, I don't think it will ever be perfect, but is it better than where it was um, ten years ago? Yes, uh, you certainly have more women directors, more you know more women behind the scenes, more people of uh, of every color, but uh, but their stories a bit. But new and different kind of stories have to be told, and to a certain extent, that's kind of great. With uh, that, we have so many options of where you can tell stories, and you have the opportunity to go to a Netflix, a Amazon, um, a Hulu to uh, to tell new stories. There's again more opportunities for um, projects to get made. Bob, I went back and watched a graduation address you gave at Tisch two years ago uh, to that class. And it went viral because you had said at the very beginning something I can't say on TV, like, mm. congratulations, you've made it. And now, to paraphrase, you don't have a great outlook. Yeah, right. <laughs> but the thing that really stood out for me in that talk was how much you talked about failure and rejection and the struggle. And that these people in this class, whether they were writers, whether they were actors, whether they were techs, whether they were you know, across the creative spectrum, that they were going to have to get used to rejection. You talked about yeah. some own roles that you'd passed up or hadn't passed on by. And you've talked a lot about how you're where you are because you're lucky. Mm -hmm. But how much is lucky combined with going through that struggle of rejection and pushing through? It's Well, lucky, uh, luck is there, but you have to be ready to be in a position to get lucky. And that means you have to consistently be doing what you have to do and, because you love doing it and you just can't give up. You got to keep going to all the auditions as I did. You go to the auditions, the open calls, even though they've been cast already. You go, you go, you go. And I always tell that to my kids. I tell 
anybody who will listen, who, that you have, because, for example, if you see a casting director and, and just, just go and assume you're not going to get the part, and, 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 and you won't get the part, most likely, but the casting director, who's more important than the director in some ways, because they, they work with a lot of directors, they'll remember you and say, this person wasn't quite right for what you're thinking, isn't quite, but you should meet them because they're interesting and they did an interesting thing that I've seen, blah, blah, blah. So in that sense, and that means you have to just go out there and keep moving forward. You can't give up. When did you realize that you were good? Oh, I, I don't even know if I'm good now. <laughs> I mean, I just do what I'm doing. But even as, even as producers... You know, it's you're being told no all the time. We were just talking yeah. about The Irishman, or you were talking about uh, Wizard of Lies. Those projects took a long, a long time, time, a long, long time. It's where still, you know, uh, knock on wood, talk about being lucky, you know, hoping Irishman, it goes 100, 100%. I mean, even as we, we sit here. Even like, at your level, even with both of you, and the, and the work that goes in to it get... Is, when he says you got to keep, you know, it, I mean, it's every day. It's like, what, you know, what are we going to do? A lot of times it's like Sisyphus pushing a rock up a hill. You get told... That's what journalism is like. <laughs> but you get told in this business no more than you get told yes, no matter where, what vaulted position you think you, you know, somebody perceives you as being in. You get told no more than yes. What do you think is the thing that we may not be seeing in terms of that's the next disruption to entertainment or the next thing, the next way of distribution, the next, as you said, the way consumption are bringing stuff to the audience in a different way? Is it virtual reality? Is it what's what's the next big thing? Well, what is the, the next? It, virtual reality is uh, still so new. Uh, and until the actual headsets get to be uh, a bit more practical and completely affordable beyond just the cardboard, uh, it's going to take a while. Certainly for journalism and documentary films, it's, uh, VR is wonderful because you, have to be, you can walk in the shoes of somebody. And it's so empathetic. Um, I do think that where, where gaming is going in so many ways, both as a, you know, from a business standpoint of esports and how that is uh, uh, really taking up, uh, will be, you know, a huge business. Uh, it certainly is already with uh, League of Legends and some of the other uh, smaller games. Uh, in terms of storytelling, you're seeing... Um, you're seeing creatives play w on all different platforms. So um, I'm not giving you that, that one simple answer. VR might be it, but it's not necessarily just VR. It will probably be more mixed reality, and how you use it might not be what you think you're going to use it for. So it might really be more for education, for travel, for an aging population uh, versus just entertainment. What? On, on that note, in terms of what's changing, what, what do you have left that you want to do? What do you have left in terms of roles, in terms of your legacy, in terms of what you want to do with the festival? What's on your bucket list? Well, with the festival, we don't know. Every, you know, it, it, it's constantly changing. So uh, it'll be what it'll be, and we just have to hopefully be ahead of the curve and, and part of it and, and, and roll with it. 
Uh, I'm doing The Irish with, with Marty, uh, which I'm looking forward to. And then I'm doing uh, a thing with uh, David O. Russell for two seasons at this point, uh, which I am also looking forward to. It's sort of a family saga. A TV series? Yeah, it's a, for, for uh, Amazon. And um, so that's, uh, I'm going to be pretty Again, busy. bringing the band back together. But, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, when you talk about that, it's, you know, years ago, even 10 years ago, you wouldn't have somebody um, like Bob or Meryl uh, crossing back and forth between film, TV. Now people do it with, now people do it with ease. There were, you know, there were definitely real dividing lines in in town, uh, in Hollywood. You didn't even eat in the same restaurant. Between TV and film. Mm -hmm. I know I just finished Big Little Lies with Nicole Kidman and Reese Witherspoon, a perfect example of that. But tell me, I mean, exactly on that sort of metamorphosis, is Netflix now, is the Amazon the place where you go to take these big risks, you know, that you can afford to get the backing and the freedom to do these kind of projects? They're cer certainly taking the risks right now, and I think that the, you know, the traditional players are also going to have to look hard at their business and start taking some real risks in what they're doing. And uh, they might have to, it, it, as, long as, as long as certain networks are getting the audiences they want and are happy with that, that's one thing. You look at uh, how the advertising industry has changed and sort of the death of the 30-second and 60-second spot and everybody now wants to do branded content and uh, you have ad blockers. I mean, the business has just changed so much. So for, you know, as a, again, at, for creatives, we can, we have all different opportunities. That's what this new distribution pattern has uh, allowed us to be able to do. So it's a very, very exciting time to be uh, on the creative side of it. Still exciting. And that's what I want to talk to you guys here at the close is I've read that when you started looking for people that you interviewed a lot of people mm -hmm, yeah. before you got to Jane. Yeah. And when you met her and then you interviewed her and you knew it was right and you're glad it worked <laughs> you know you, you knew it was yeah. right and you knew you were right because it's worked out what do you think the secret of your partnership has been and the secret of your, of your success you're frequently referred to as work wives work husbands but what's been the essential glue that's held it together I, I don't know I mean I think that uh, I, I believe uh, in working with in whatever situation that the people you work with need the latitude and the freedom to do to do whatever they feel they can do best uh, and uh, and then you direct them when you feel that things are not quite the way you want to go and so on and we've I've been pretty easy with with Jane about stuff we don't have many disagreements about things sometimes but um, and I trust her and I know that she'll do um, the right thing, and I don't know sometimes where we're going. She's doing things that I'm saying, okay, you know, if there's a problem, tell me, and we'll, we'll you know, work on it. Or if you think that you want my decision, you want me to weigh in on it, I will. And uh, so. And what can I say? <laughs> <laughs> what can I say? I, I... It's just worked. Yeah. It's just about communication, um, and it's also. Um, you know, to have healthy disagreements. That's, um, and we've certainly 
have had those. So, I mean, you know. She's very smart. She knows that when to leave me alone and when to. Right. Like, so it's like no, it's like a good marriage. You wake up, you hear his voice sometimes in the morning, and it's like he's had that extra cup of espresso. It's like, uh, I'll talk to you later. <laughs> exactly. All right, I want to just close by going back to 1997, Wag the Dog, um, for people who haven't seen it, a movie where you play a political consultant right. who, to try and cover up from a sex scandal in the White House, basically starts a fake war with Albania. Not even yeah. a fake war, a sort of real distracting yeah. war. I was reading this morning that someone, you know, warns that we're living in a wag the dog scenario now. How, how prescient do you think that movie was in terms of what we experience now in the political environment? Pretty, pretty prescient, actually. <laughs> and and you know, Jane was just telling me about it this morning. That it's, uh, it's trending on Twitter. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, when we made, when we made that movie, which we actually shot in 28 days, and Barry Levinson and Dustin and Bob, everybody had another movie to do, and we just could squeeze it in. We just thought we were made, you know, David Mamet wrote an amazing script, and we thought we were just doing a good satire. Um, little did we know um, all the crazy things that... Um, Would happen then. Yeah. Which or just even creating. I mean, looking at the looking at the scene recently of you know creating the fake war. And uh, I remember know, Kirsten Dunst with the Doritos yes, yeah. package. Yeah. Is the famous they superimpose. Mm-hmm. I think it's a goat. Right? And then there's also Bob's line in it, in it where he's like, "Deny, deny, deny. If you said it, you leaked it." Um, and uh, it's it is interesting to just look at the the language of that film now um in terms of the reality well we certainly live in fascinating times i want to thank you guys so much for stopping by to talk to us bob jane thanks so much for thank you thank you you. Thanks. thanks thank you for listening to debrief i'm megan murphy you can find me on twitter at megan murp business week is on twitter at at bw and debrief is available on itunes the brand new bloomberg app or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum, powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CarterEconomicForum.com.